This is a Rooster Teeth production. Organ theft is not just a scary story. It's a billion dollar black market industry worldwide. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. We are back with the podcast where we explore topics and histories of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. You've probably heard the urban legend or some variation of it. There's a guy, let's call him Todd. Todd's a pretty generic guy name, Jess. Yeah, I know. I know a Todd. <laughs> you know, we all know, know a Todd. <laughs> Todd goes to Atlantic City or Vegas, maybe, Reno even. He's on business. He meets some fun-loving fellow businessmen who, oh, also happen to be staying at the same hotel as him. Yeah, you know, Todd and company start to drink, chat, gamble, and engage in a wild evening of revelry. Oh yeah, it's fun. A lot of fun. But at what cost? Because the next morning, Todd wakes up not feeling too great, and maybe it's just a hangover. And although he's in his hotel room, he is strangely not in his bed. Actually, he's in the bathtub, submerged in water and ice. There's a note taped nearby, or maybe on Todd himself. I love finding a note (laughs) when you wake up in a bathtub. (laughs) It's always a good sign. You need a note or else how will you know what happened? (laughs) It's like very memento. The note reads, call 911 if you want to live. Todd scrambles. He calls 911. The operator tells him not to move, but to check his body for scars. Todd does and feels a large scar on his lower back, one he previously did not have. A sign that Todd's new friends probably performed a makeshift surgery on him and harvested his liver. Hmm. Or maybe he finds a scar on his belly, kidney Kidney removal. removal. Presumably Todd's been tricked and used as an organ farm to his horror without his consent. And his organs are about to be sold on the black market. The moral of the story being never meet new people and just forget about having fun in life ever. (laughs) Yes, 100%. Stay at home, lock your doors. There is a second moral to this story, which is don't believe everything you read on the internet or did 30 years ago in an early 90s chain letter email, (laughs) which we were very susceptible to. Oh, yeah. Because you were and maybe still are with this story, getting the urban legend, which is the sensationalized version of a real thing that happens, organ theft. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we can trace this back to the very uh, early 90s when this whole urban legend started picking up steam. It created a panicked frenzy and the media spun the narrative that U.S. travelers should be wary of visiting other countries for fear of being abducted or having Thor organ stolen. Yes, there were even false reports of a crime ring in New Orleans that was abducting people and harvesting their kidneys. And it gained so much traction and people thought it was legit that the New Orleans Police Department had to issue a statement telling locals and nervous travelers that this was not true. Yes, the story uh, we just told about Todd, about gangs and sordid individuals who prey on the unsuspecting, uh, drug them, steal their meat valuables and leave them in the bathtub or alleyway with a note is what you'd see play out on like an episode of TV crime drama. Yeah, which isn't to say that organ harvesting doesn't happen. Of course, it happens because we're talking about it for 30 minutes in this episode. But um <laughs> The version that you hear like this is sensationalized. It's dramatic. It's 
you know, over the top, meant to kind of scare you. But there is a big basis of truth to these urban legends because organ theft does happen in real life and it looks different. Uh, We want to explore how it happens and why, especially in developing countries. And when we say developing countries, we're using the classifications as made by the World Trade Organization. So, for example, even though China has a large economy, for other reasons, they're still categorized as a developing nation. In 2020, the U.N. Office on Drugs and Crime released their global report on trafficking. They cite trafficking in persons for the purpose of organ removal, TIP, or OR, as one of the growing forms of trafficking worldwide. Yeah, and the operative word here being growing, sex trafficking and forced labor trafficking are still the number one motives for trafficking people. Um, Organ removal only accounts for about 1% or less globally, which is pretty small. Regions including North Africa, South and Southeast Asia, Central America, and parts of Europe account for the most activity included in the UN's report. And the numbers that are actually accounted for are very small. In uh, 2017, about 25 victims were reported. And in 2018, this number had risen to more than 40. And these numbers are so small because it's not getting reported. So we can't really Mm -hmm. get realistic numbers. It's hard to detect. People are not declaring it. It's being done illegally. So the criminals aren't like, look how many people we trafficked. Um, And it's also often disguised in legitimate medical settings. Yeah. And it's, it's not easy to successfully remove and transplant an, an organ. No, it requires a high medical skill and being able to do all of it under the table. So when it happens, it's probably actually done in sanctioned medical centers, but by dirty doctors and other health professionals who are part of these crime organizations. Kidneys are the most trafficked organ, up to 7,000 obtained illegally every year per a 2015 report by Global Financial Integrity, followed by livers or parts of livers. Maybe surprisingly or perhaps surprisingly not, men around 30 years old are more often victims than women or children. Or you'll see situations of forced donation where men oblige their wives to donate organs to them as the men are regarded as the primary breadwinners in the family which is like a whole other level of like gender politics <laughs> yeah. of, you know, like, oh, you've got to donate your organ to me because I need to support us. Is yeah. Like, so twisted like, no, too. you can die. I'll support us. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a distinction here that's recognized by global law institutions that we probably don't think about or likely confuse. And that's trafficking in persons for the purpose of organ removal versus actual organ trafficking. Trafficking in persons is the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of someone who will be exploited for their organs, and this might be done through abduction, fraud, or coercion. Per the UN, the crime of organ trafficking refers to the illicit trade or exchange of organs for financial or or other material gain, and it doesn't include the trafficking of a person whose organ is being removed. Yeah, so the person isn't transported anywhere, just the illegal organ material. Yes. And there's been like a call to governments worldwide to make it a criminal offense to illegally remove human organs from living or deceased donors without their consent, especially for financial gain. Especially important, given that the people who are targeted are typically individuals who are vulnerable, migrants, refugees, impoverished people. Yes. And that's the big problem. It's usually people who are desperate, their backs are against the wall, and they see no alternative to get money. Mm -hmm. Or they're easily manipulated because they have a lack of education or a low-level education. Sometimes people are told that their kidneys will grow back and they're poor, like 
you said, uneducated farmers and, and don't know otherwise. Yes. And I feel like it's like this is the version of, you know, the Jack and the Beanstalk story of like selling someone mm. uh, beans, magic beans. Like mm-hmm. this is like the real world super evil equivalent of that. Yeah. Of telling someone like, oh, yeah, sell your kidney to me. It'll grow back. And a lot of time the victims are tricked with like flowery words or they might be promised work or money or even like a better situation for their families. In January of this year, PBS News Hours spoke with a 19-year-old Nepalese boy named Santosh, who thought he was leaving his village in central Nepal for a job in New Delhi, but men were hiring him were actually traffickers who drugged him and stole one of his kidneys. Yep. They gave Santosh around $4,500 and sent him back to his village, but at a much greater cost. There are villages in this part of central Nepal that have earned the twisted nickname Kidney Valley, where PBS learned that every man living there on average, has about one kidney, or that's so the story goes. The men living there feel pressured to sell their kidneys to earn money to take care of their families, even though the transplants often leave them physically unwell or unable to do future hard labor. Yeah, so what they depended on to do work, they can't even do anymore. Mm-hmm. And Nepal especially is hit hard by organ trafficking. Uh, CNN went there in 2015 and noted people in the streets were begging for money for kidney treatment. And there's uh, the Nepal Kidney Center there in Kathmandu, which is just like packed with patients waiting for dialysis. Another area, Kavre, is known as the Kidney Bank of Nepal and is a hotbed of black market organ trafficking. But once one area is identified by authorities, the black marketers start village hopping to see who they can target next. And again, it's usually someone who's desperate or really not fully understanding what's going to happen to them. There are, of course, stories that break the mold, like that of Blanca Arayano, a Mexican woman who flew to Peru to meet a male medical student she started an online relationship with. His name was Juan Pablo uh, Jesus Villafuerte. Not only did he abduct Blanca and harvest her organs, but he kept up the shroud that she was still alive. So he was like texting her family, communicating with them, and pretending as if everything was all hunky-dory. Yeah, in the way that Villafierte uh, manipulated Blanca, the internet has at large become a tool to attract other willing donors and create an online underground infrastructure for advertising and selling organs. Which, let's rewind a second because I think we need to figure out why people are being trafficked for organs in the first place. Mm-hmm. And we will get to answering that question after a word from our sponsors. Jessica, you love your little turtle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet you just take a billion photos of her and then just find them sitting in your digital photos folder. I really do. Um, and she's making the same face in all of them <laughs> because she's a turtle. <laughs> she's a turtle. No, but I do. And I just got this digital photo frame from Aura Frames. And now I can look at her little turtle face anytime I want. Ooh, baby. Turtle time. <laughs> Aura <laughs> Frames are perfect for sharing those pet pics, your turtle pics, epic vacation shots, vacation so- shots while you're with your turtle family photos that include your turtle because they're a member of the family. And they are the perfect addition to your home. I've got one too. Yes. No, their frames have thoughtful designs like stone-inspired textures, hand-speckled finishes, and classic matting. They've got the style for every decor. All you need to do is connect to Wi-Fi and use the free Aura app to add unlimited pics and videos 
And you can do that from anywhere in the world. Yes, that is. I love that. Um, did we also mention that Aura Frames also makes like great gifts? I just personally got my sister an Aura Frame for her um, housewarming and she absolutely loves it. Oh, are you connected to it? Can you drop photos into her frame? I sure can and already have. Oh my gosh, it's the best. <laughs> That's the best. Like imagine your friends are getting married. You get the happy couple and aura frame as a gift. And then you can, photos you took from the wedding, you can add to their frame for them. It's perfect. And memes. Yes. And <laughs> memes. I was going to say, I also have definitely a couple of unflattering photos of myself that I've sent to my <laughs> sister's aura frame. But yeah. Oh, and they're not just for trolling. You can get one for your mom for Mother's Day and it's the sweetest gift. Yes. And plus, when you give one as a gift, you can even preload it with your favorite pick. So it's already ready to go upon delivery. Mm-hmm. I have one and I have pictures of Jess on it. So I sometimes I'm just in my kitchen and I'm like, there's Jess. Yeah, of me playing really bad Tetris. <laughs> <It's a board laughs> I know the photo you're talking about. <laughs> yes. And right now, listeners, you all can take advantage of Aura's best-selling Carver frames at their lowest price yet, this time of year at $149. Just go to AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. And listeners can use 30MM30MM to get free shipping at checkout. Don't miss out on the gift of a lifetime. Terms and conditions apply. That's code 30MM. Okay, so when I have an upcoming trip abroad, my go-to travel hack is packing my underwear and my sneakers, but also (laughs) (laughs) is to use the language learning app Babbel. Yes, when you're traveling, communication is key to fully experiencing a new culture, and that's where Babbel comes in. Yes, Babbel's lessons are only 10 minutes long, so you can start having real-life conversations in as little as three weeks. Babbel builds their lessons around real life. You learn how to have practical conversations about travel super fast. One thing I really love is that they actually have native speakers voicing their lessons so I can hear how to pronounce the words right. Yeah, and I really like that I can practice my accent with their speech recognition technology. I should also practice saying the word accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what accent you're doing. Ac- yes. Accent. That's, is that a French word? True. Accent. Accent aigu. Which the- I can tell you I brush up on using Babbel. There you go. I grew up learning French back in Canada. And now, you know, you don't use it, you lose it. And I can whip out the Babbel app and then do some lessons and kind of keep that fresh in my mind. Love it. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash 30mm. That's babbel.com slash 30mm for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Yes. So why are people being trafficked for organs in the first place? Well, like most things in our capitalist hellscape, it often comes down to an issue of supply versus demand. According to a 2020 analysis published by the National Library of Medicine, roughly 10% of all organ transplants worldwide are believed to be illegal, so about 12,000 organs per year. Yeah, in November, there was a congressional investigation that was looking into like organ procurement organizations across the U.S. and whether they were doing enough to secure organs for the over 100,000 people in the U.S. alone who are on wait lists for transplants. According to Representative Raja Krishnamurthy, the chair of the House subcommittee, 17 to 20 people a day die on the wait list because they cannot get organs. 
And China has long been accused of contributing to the organ black market with its former prisoner organ program that allowed the removal of organs from executed criminals. So China's like part of this problem where people can't get organs in the U.S. and they're traveling for them. The program was instituted in 1984 with the provision that prisoners uh, give prior consent or their body went unclaimed post-death. This program has been called out by human rights activists all over the world. Not only is it ethically questionable, but it's rife with corruption and forced coercion. In 2001, a Chinese military doctor testified before the U.S. Congress that he had taken part in organ extraction operations from executed prisoners, some of whom were not even dead when they did the extraction. (sighs) Yeah, human rights investigator Ethan Gutman and lawyer David Mattis have testified before Congress about China's transplant system. The two say that a pattern developed under this system wherein inmate executions would take place when Chinese doctors were in need of organs. So sick. In 2014, Huang Jiefu, who is a doctor in charge of overhauling the transplant system, declared that as of 2015, China would phase out using organs from executed prisoners and instead rely on a national donation system. Hmm, I bet that went great. (laughs) Still, Jiefu has since voiced support for the sentiment that prisoners should be allowed to donate organs and have a right to do so. There are other officials and doctors who have held the philosophy that since the prisoners committed sins in their lives, donating their organs is an opportunity of atonement, basically. Yes. And so the whole idea that in 2015 we're going to stop doing this uh, didn't really happen in practice, or so human rights activists discovered. In 2019, an international tribunal in London concluded that a Chinese prison camp was still harvesting organs from prisoners even after the so-called ban, and other investigations have found similar conclusions. A lot of the prisoners targeted are those unlawfully jailed under religious persecution as practitioners of Falun Gong, a spiritual discipline banned in China during the 1990s. Muslims, Tibetans, and Christians are also targets. These prisoners are known as prisoners of conscience. A 2021 report from the UN confirmed that detainees from ethnic, linguistic, or religious minorities may be forcibly subjected to blood tests and organ exams examinations, like ultrasounds and x-rays without their informed consent. Um, And other prisoners were not required to undergo such examinations. So like doctors were seeing, hey, we need a blood test or a a match that comes from this person. So go and test prisoners to see if Mm -hmm. any of them match to this. It's like, it's so evil. (laughs) It is. An estimated 25,000 to 50,000 inmates in China are allegedly murdered each year to harvest 50 to 150,000 organs. Experts claim the underground organ trade to be worth billions of dollars annually. And this brings us to another booming industry, transplant tourism. And (laughs) yeah, this is just so it's just so like weird to even talk about and think. No, it sounds like like something that's going to be featured on a season of The White Lotus. Yes, exactly. And this is simply when someone travels to another country to buy an organ for a transplant. And I feel like we hear about this a lot. We hear about people that leave the U.S. to go get surgeries done because Mm -hmm. it's cheaper for Mm -hmm. them to buy a plane ticket and go get surgery somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But this is someone cannot get an organ in their home country. So they're traveling somewhere else where there's an actual supply. Yeah, it's it's a the symptom of a shortage of organs at home, as we mentioned earlier. Yes. And uh, transplant tourism, it feeds into what we discussed before, which is like the exploitation of people and coercion over consent. 
But then there are the issues with the procedures themselves, which aren't always on the up and up, unregulated, uh, older out of date equipment, undertrained staff, sanitation issues, and poor infection control are among the many problems that can arise. Yes. And do these factors, people who go overseas to obtain these transplants might return home horribly ill or with medical complications. Like there are so many stories of people who they travel to go get these surgeries, Jess, and then they come back home. It was like done badly. They come Mm -hmm. back home and they're even worse off than they were before. Yes. There are some physicians who won't treat someone who goes abroad for an organ or or for the belief that it makes them complicit in organ trafficking. I I don't blame them. No, which it's like to me also would say a lot because doctors take that Hippocratic oath and they're, they're supposed to do the surgery, help someone no matter what. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I actually wouldn't mind if you took a Hippocratic friendship oath <laughs> <laughs> that involved a, oh, man. however I needed help. You, you mm-hmm. took the oath. I don't know about that. I don't know. Okay. Well, <laughs> well if you, I mean, if you, if you killed somebody, you're, you're all, you're on your own. Oh, hang on now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd, I'd bring my shovel. I'd bring my shovel. Thank you. Um, but yeah, the way the American Medical Association sees it, the corrupt market has to be starved out. And the only way to do this is to make it easier to obtain an organ in the U.S., which easier said than done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and this comes down in many experts' opinions to incentives. Yes. Yeah, so like giving people in the U.S. lifetime Medicare coverage or a deposit into a 401k retirement plan, tax credits like tuition vouchers for the donor's children, nursing care, family insurance, health insurance coverage, you know, life insurance, a charitable donation, cash payments. There has to be something that gets people, um, you know, into the <laughs> into the surgery rooms. Yeah. But are incentive programs a slippery slope toward exploitation? I think they would be because, mm-hmm. like, in my opinion, if we're seeing in other countries where they're going and exploiting poor people who have no other options and they're desperate and saying like, give us your organs. I feel like that would be the same case in the U S mm-hmm. because there, I mean, there's mm-hmm. extreme poverty, right? Yeah. I think I would just hope granted this would only come down to like kidneys or maybe like parts of a liver. Cause I know it can grow back, but like asking a family member if they're uh, a match, somebody that would give up their kidney because yeah, I feel like waiting on that wait list is just and you when you need it bad. I don't know. It's just it's really sad. It, it's super sad. And like I'm grateful and thankful that my personal experience. I do not know anybody in my direct life that has been waiting on a donor list. I don't know if you have had that, but I don't. I have. I do not know yes. anybody. Think thankfully. I feel like my experience has been what I see in movies and Selena Gomez. <laughs> Same here, right? Selena Gomez, she's been very outspoken about that and very, very thankful to her donor as well. Because she had a friend donate to her, right? A kidney. Mm-hmm. And isn't it much harder on the donor than the recipient? That I don't know. As in like the the physical part, as in like pulling it out of your body and the recovery? And the recovery. I think like from what I've read and heard that for the recipient, they've been waiting on this. And so their body gets kind of like this shock to it. It's it's healing. They feel great. And then the person that donated the organ feels like they got hit by a semi truck and then they have to deal with the experience. Yeah, I, you're right. I can only imagine because now they're left with one kidney that's going to work over time. I know that you can you only need one kidney, you know, at least, but it's still 
Yeah, I thought because, you know, there's also like the mental and emotional side of it all, too. But oh, yeah. And also like in movies, I feel like the the urban legend we talked about at the beginning feels more like what you see. Which is somebody waking up in a bathtub. There's this yep. this movie Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance where um, it's, again, like somebody who feels very pressed against a wall, like they have no other options. And so he gets like his organ essentially stolen from him. Yeah, I know that's what we see in movies and stuff, but there was a reason why it was done that way so many times. Has it happened before in the bathtub with ice? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I would not be surprised either. If the, like there's at least one occasion, like where did, yeah, where mm-hmm. did those urban legends kind of stem from? Yeah, but you're right. It's like, it's, it's, it's hard to successfully take out an organ. I, I know. You know? <laughs> so like, and make sure it's okay to put in somebody else. So, you know, these dirty doctors that are doing it, um, that actually have a room where they can do it, even if it is like outdated equipment, at least, I don't know. Yeah. Every way is bad. <laughs> So Steve Jobs traveled in 2009 and received a liver transplant, not in California, but he went to Memphis. Interesting. So, okay. So it sounds like maybe the organ just couldn't be transferred to him in, in the, in the time. So he had to go there. Maybe, but then also I think getting a transplant and then traveling or, or traveling if you need a transplant creates all kinds of complications for the recipient too. Touche. Yeah. God, this is bonkers. It's also just crazy that even even thinking on a broader scale of like that we can just mix and match organs yeah. and people's bodies. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, well. And I think we've even talked about this in cloning on our cloning episode. I forget what season it was, one or two, about um, creating organs in a lab. Oh, which would, would totally eliminate a lot of what we're seeing with these trafficking issues. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, my husband always donates blood because he has yes. one of the rarer blood types. Um, really? That's more more I, universally accepted. Okay. And I, yeah, maybe I should start stocking up on it. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I sure would. I sure would. Um, oh, my God. But yeah, Steve Jobs, I guess he, you know, there was also some controversy of like, did he game the system? Did he get ahead on these lists? And um, some people also, because he had cancer considered Mm. you know is his cancer fatal is he taking an organ from someone who might otherwise survive if they got it it's so it's so sad to even bring up these things because it's just like well you have cancer so do you really need that organ yeah you know it's like such an ethical quandary of does this person's life or attempt at living outvalue another person's and then also the mere fact because he is steve jobs and he has done a lot for us technologically and all of that it's like do you push this person to the top of the list, A, because of who they are, maybe because they have more money or because his impact on the world. I don't know. <laughs> it's all messed up, yes. though. <laughs> yeah, and definitely not questions that we on this podcast are qualified to answer. No, not at all. <laughs> but we love asking. But they are questions. I do. I ask them. I ask questions in my brain all the time and into the ether, but a lot of my questions go unanswered, yes. <laughs> which and the, is okay. There was a whole other thing that the hospital where he received the transplant received an anonymous $40 million donation. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know what I have to say about that. <laughs> so I'll just go, huh. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll save it for, we should do like a the morbid side of, of ethics episode. Yeah, but boy, that's, 
That's like longer than three minute episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's a podcast. That's like a full on podcast. Oh man. Um, yeah. Well, we have lots of episodes of this podcast where we don't land on any kind of moral position one way or the other because there really isn't any way to come to that conclusion. No. But you can check them all know. out. And yeah, and listen, yeah, listen to our cloning uh, episode. It was it was a good one, just in general. And you're absolutely but. right. Like very directly ties into this and could be the solution for some of these issues. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, I know it's, if it's grown in a lab, that's that's weird. But hey, if it works and my body accepts it, I'm gonna I would use it. Uh-huh. And it will. But then there's the other ethical aspect of like we talk in that episode about the book and movie Never Let Me Go, where people are specifically mm-hmm. cloned and made to be organ donors for rich people. And so I feel like that is the, I feel like that's the, what we would, what we would think would happen would be a organ would be grown in a lab that's not attached to anyone, but probably what would be happen would be that dystopic version. It's so crazy. Cause that's like even a bigger conversation of like what qualifies as life, somebody that has a beating heart and consciousness that was born out of a lab or somebody that was born, uh, from another human being, but still is the, I don't, it's. It's insane. Oh, yes. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we could talk yeah. about it. <laughs> Obviously, like the question of like what constitutes life is a big mm-hmm. part of the abortion debate, mm-hmm. um, which I think oh, you yeah. and I are both very pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then, Absolutely. you know, I was I um, moved my doormat the other day and a little worm was underneath it. And Aww. I love worms. And I was like, I got to <laughs> save this worm. I got to get him somewhere safe. Um, <laughs> but then I thought to myself, someone else probably would not consider this worm worthy of rescue. That's true. Some people just, I, there's a lot of roly polies. I call them roly polies. I don't know what you call them, but, um, on my doorstep and like my walkway, I I don't know how we got to anyway. Um, so as we're walking up, so like uh, we'll park in our driveway and then we have to walk up to the door and there's like a little sidewalk and there's tons of roly polies. And I'll tell Devin, I'm like, be careful of stepping on the roly polies because they're so easy to step on. So I like make sure to not step on the roly polies. I am very much like you with that. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. You have to think about them because they're just like out and about and they're adorable. They're just doing their thing. I'm going to get you a little sign made that says roly poly crossing. (laughs) (laughs) So people know. <laughs> That's really cute. I love it. I've always loved Roly Poly. It would be so tiny that only the worms would be able to read it or see it. There uh, you go. Yeah. Do you call them Roly Polies? Some people don't. Some people call them other things. I don't know what they call no. them. No. And then part of me wants to say, like, is that a Texas thing? But I don't think it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't I know. I think it's just a cutie thing. It's a cutie thing. I think so. Well, hmm. I think that brings us to the end of this episode. We ended on a happy we note. We did. We tried. <laughs> Yeah, we tried for sure. A lot of that was hard and heavy, you know. trafficking. Yeah. But, so, yeah. you know, you got to end it on the roly polies. There you go. All right. Well, until next time, uh, bad bye, Elise. Bad bye, Jess. Bye.